0: Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fisher. We're back. The three of us are together for the first time in what seems like forever. We were doing two episodes per week. Then Joshua and I had to miss the Celtics interview that Lauren did with John Corrales, a great talk about the Boston Celtics' success this season. And then we missed one for the holidays as well. So we're back. We'll be talking about the Boston Celtics' on this episode and also the loaded eastern conference believe it or not in which there's a lot of parody so just digging into the boston celtics one guy who was not mentioned in that episode where so much ground was covered was jared selinger the young power forward has just been a beast on the boards lauren beginning with you how important is jared selinger to this young team
1: yeah, we mentioned Jaron Soldier a little bit in the context of that crowded front court that they have in Boston right now. He, as you mentioned, has really improved his rebounding, both his purse 36 numbers where he's grabbing a ridiculous amount of total rebounds. I think he's up to over 13 per 36. But also if you look at his rebounding rate, that's amount of rebounds out of the available rebounds that he grabs. That's also up a lot. I think the reasoning behind that is coming into this season, the thing was that Sollinger worked a lot on his conditioning. That was a problem for him earlier on in his career. He was a little bit out of shape sometimes, and he made that a focal point of his offseason coming into this season. So his energy levels are up, and that's helped him corral a lot more of those rebounds. And he's always been an elite rebounder for his career
0: yeah he's a a big guy beefy guy he takes up a lot of space down there and he's really good at boxing out one also thing to note about Jared Stollinger he's shooting fewer threes this season which I think could be improving his offensive rebounding rate just because he's in better position to grab those to what extent do you think that might be true Joshua that's a really good point last season Stollinger attempted more than three three pointers per game down to about two this season. I think it, it definitely has helped improve his offensive rebounding since sullinger has been in the painted area a lot more rather than hanging out around the arc. Yeah, he's a guy that deserves a lot of credit for the Celtics' success. But as was mentioned during the interview episode and um as we'll talk about here today, they're just such a well-rounded, well-balanced team that it's really not one guy. And that's how you can go so long and, and talk about um, so many different guys because so many players on the Celtics are integral to their success. Another guy that's a, a key example of that is Marcus Smart, who missed a little bit more than a month with a knee and toe injury. And he's getting back healthy now. He's played a couple games since. He's just a high-energy, good defensive guy. I want to briefly just read a Isaiah Thomas quote from right after their win over the Knicks when Smart returned. He said about Smart, when he's playing well on offense, that's a cherry on top. Joshua, is that how you view Smart's offensive contributions? Kind of as like you don't expect them, but anything he can provide on that end is just a bonus? I don't necessarily agree that that should be the case, but it has been thus far in Marcus Smart's NBA career. If you look at his stats at Oklahoma State and if you just um, read articles and listen to the hype, this guy has been a very good offensive player and he still has the potential to be. He just hasn't shown that at a consistent level in the pros. That said, his defense, energy, his passing's been good. He's been really valuable to to the Celtics even if he's not shooting well. And this season, he's been shooting awful. They have such great team schemes, led by Brad Stevens and his staff. High energy on, a def- on the defensive end. And just the focus. You have to have the focus and the intent to defend. And so, even with Smart being out, they haven't missed a beat defensively. That being said, going to you, Lauren, I want to know, do you think that it could hurt the team injecting Smart into the lineup in place of Avery Bradley? Or do you see that as more of a benefit?
1: I don't think it could really hurt the team. Joshua mentioned that Marcus Smart's shooting really hasn't been there this season, but I think he's he's not a great shooter percentage-wide, but he's still good enough that people can't just leave him open on threes, and that's part of the Celtics' philosophy. You move the ball around and looking for shots. And even though a lot of the Celtics guys aren't typically great shooters, you still have to pay attention to them. They're good enough there. Moving Avery Bradley to the bench, we mentioned this on the, the earlier this week's show. I think that'll help him offensively. He can take a little bit more of the load, be aggressive on the offensive end, and also he can take away a lot of the options defensively for the other for the other team when they go to their second unit he can be aggressive and hamper the flow of the other team's second unit offense
0: I think there are a couple other important things to add about Marcus Smart one he's great at drawing fouls and going to the basket and it it hurts his ability to go to the basket if he's not making shots from the perimeter because that pump fake is is a lot less convincing if you're not hitting your shots. And Lauren, you said that he's able to make enough threes to where he's respected. But, and that's true, I think, for the most part of what he can be and what he was last season. And granted, it's a very small sample size. He's only played in 11 games this season. But so far this year, he's hitting under 24% of his threes, but he's attempting more than four. So I think that he needs to show better shot selection if he's going to hit such a low percentage. But also, just flat out, he's got to make more of those perimeter shots if his pump fake is going to be respected and if he wants to continue getting to the line. But either way, getting to the line helps the Celtics a lot. Josh. I just want to add a couple things about Marcus Smart. I believe what Lauren's alluding to about, about smart hitting enough threes and you did too, Aaron, is last season, smart, he was really good sometimes from three. <laughs> he's really streaky. Yeah. He goes through stretches of games where, where he's really dangerous and doing really well, sprinkles in some really good, good three point shooting performances here and there. This season, it hasn't really been there at all. Last season, only a year ago, you saw it and, his injuries they seem to be not such that that they should be causing these performances no one yet said this this guy is 21 years old we just have to say that the future is bright for him he'll have plenty of time to figure out the offensive end for a 21 year old that's providing that much from an energy and defensive standpoint a franchise has to be lucky to have a guy like that and you can bet that Danny Ainge appreciates what he has in Marcus Smart. Yeah, and you always hear about what a good what a good person he is and and how much he wants to win and how team first he is. But I just wanted to also add to support what you said Aaron about shot selection. That's been a probably the biggest issue of all of his problems since he he's entered the NBA. And it's something that he he still certainly needs to improve upon. As of this recording, Boston stands at 18 and 14 and tied for the seventh seed out east but they'll have one more game under their belt when this is published against the brooklyn nets which is likely a win it's in boston but brooklyn's been playing well so we'll see and boston did lose to the lakers then again it doesn't matter point being the east is so deep right now and you can go from seeds one to seeds 11 and only five and a half games separate those 11 teams so so much parity we'll talk about that in the other segment but that brings me to my next question starting with joshua i'm curious to what extent can we consider boston a legitimate contender in the east or in other words do they really have a chance of challenging cleveland this year as John Corrales said in the interview, I'm kind of also worried about the Celtics' chances beyond the first round. It seems like like a lot of their success can be attributed to Brad Stevens' masterminding the rotations and, and just doing all the right things, getting everything he can out of the players. But in the playoffs, you need a star. It helps if you have a couple stars. Having three stars is even better. The Celtics don't really have any offensive stars and that that might be their undoing in the playoffs. I think that they'll probably win a few games in the first round, maybe even win the series. After that, I'm I'm kind of skeptical about their chances. Yeah, I'll say this. I think that it's unfair right now just looking at the makeup of their team to not give them any shot of coming out of the east, but I don't think that I think realistically it's pretty close to 0%, which is I, I mean, maybe that sounds unfair, but they don't have, when the, the rotations shrink, like John was explaining in the interview, I completely agree with that. And your stars are playing heavy minutes. I see them really struggling to beat a team like Cleveland. And that, that's even if Cleveland has a key injury, too, like they did last postseason. And they were still so dominant against the rest of the East. So it'll be interesting to see. What do you think, Lauren?
1: Yeah, I agree with everything both you and Josh and John on the previous show said. Boston's been winning a lot of these games through really a lot of teamwork, a lot of deep rotations, being able to outwork other teams. And I think you can win a lot of the games in the regular season like that. You can outsmart a lot of other teams like that too with smart defensive schemes and team play. But as we mentioned, both of you, that in the playoffs, teams are much more reliant on their star players. And you watch Boston sometimes, and they really go through a lot of offensive droughts because they don't have, other than Isaiah Thomas, who's who's better this season, but is still sometimes streaky and can get into hero ball mode. They don't have a go-to score who they can just count on to get a bucket when they need that boost.
0: Yeah. When you're talking about smart play. No pun was intended, I assume. Am I right? But anyway, moving on. Jay Crowder and Avery Bradley, they've been huge. Huge. So Lauren, talk about those two guys for us a little bit. Why have they been so impactful?
1: First of all, Jay Crowder is that really unique combination of speed and quickness and understanding of defensive fundamentals. He's the focal point of a lot of the versatility that brad stevens has had with the lineups this season because you can put jay crowder on twos and he's quick enough to keep up with them and not let them drive past him and you can get put him on fours and he's strong enough to not get back down in the paint and disrupt a lot of the offensive flow there he's an improved shooter this season he's gotten a lot more of the offense relying on him still not a great offensive player but again as we mentioned before he's a good enough shooter and he makes enough of his shots that you really have to pay attention to him and he's a good playmaker too so his contribution to the celtics really can't be overstated especially he's on a seven million dollar a year contract went which when he was given that a lot of people were really questioning what the celtics saw in jay crowder Because up to that point, he wasn't really relied upon at all in Dallas or early on in Boston. But now that contract looks like a really big bargain. Yeah,
0: those two guys have been so important for Boston. I think you offer a good assessment of um, where they've impacted the team. Jay Crowder's minutes are way up compared to the minutes he was logging in Dallas. And it's exciting to see him get some serious run and make the most out of it. But before we close out the segment, I just want to ask Joshua, do you have any closing thoughts on this squad? Anything that we haven't really spent a lot of time on or just something that needs to be added? I just want to say how fun and exciting it is to watch these Celtics. And it's pretty amazing how they have all these guys who were stars in college. Marcus Smart, Jared Sullinger. Kelly O'Linick, players who are very young and they still have time to figure it out in the pro. Yeah, we'll definitely see what happens. They have that young core. If they're able to maintain the continuity, keep them together for the years to come, then I don't think the big question should necessarily be, can they challenge Cleveland this season? I think in the coming two or three years, if these guys continue to progress, the sky could be the limit for them. So that will be something that we all keep an eye on going forward. But that's the end of our Celtics segment. It was a lot of fun. Thanks again to Lauren for doing a spectacular interview with John Corrales. John was, was just great. We'll have him on again sometime in the future. But we'll see you next segment.
1: Welcome back to our second segment, listeners, where we'll be talking about the Deep Eastern Conference. We mentioned this a little bit in the first segment, but the Eastern Conference right now has a lot of parity. There's not a lot of a gap between 1 and the 10th team. Even the 11th and 12th teams are still right in the mix. For each of you, can you talk a little bit either about the general landscape of the East right now and pinpoint a team that's playing better than you expected coming into the season and a little bit on why that might be the case, Aaron? First of all, I think it's
0: exciting, and we'll get more into this later, but it's exciting to see such depth in the Eastern Conference and so many teams that are are winning have more wins than losses this season. I think... If I had to pinpoint one team that's likely to fall back down to earth would probably be the Charlotte Hornets. It's easy for me to say that having them having dropped seven of their last ten and now Al Jefferson has the torn meniscus. He missed his last two games. He'll be out for an extended period of time. Kemba Walker's been playing well as of late, but him and Nick Batum and and the Jeremy Ells, that's not going to be enough, I think. I think they're going to drop a little bit. And in such a competitive landscape, it might just be too much to overcome for them to try to make the playoffs. I think they might dig themselves too big of a hole to overcome.
1: Joshua, do you have a team that who you think are overachieving right now? It's hard for me to say because, like
0: everyone else, I didn't think Orlando would be this good this fast. They're one of my exciting teams to watch, but... At 19 and 14, I never would have expected that. That said, they're playing so well, um, it's hard for me to forecast an imminent demise, but maybe they're overachieving.
1: Charlotte and Orlando, both of them were pegged not really as playoff contenders coming into this season, but they do have players to watch. Orlando especially, I think. Nikola Vucevic has been playing really well. Evan Fournier has evolved into a reliable scorer, pretty good two-guard right now in the NBA. But moving on from that, coming into the season, the general sentiment was that the Cavaliers would have a pretty easy path back into the NBA Finals for a repeat appearance. Do you still think that's the case? Do you think the Cavs are still a lock to make the finals? Or do you have any other dark horse candidates to come out of the East, Josh? Well, first of all, I would definitely
0: not characterize the Cleveland Cavaliers as a lock to make the finals this season. But I think a couple teams that could make it are the Miami Heat and the Chicago Bulls. And I'll tell you why. The Miami Heat pretty much have everything that you could need to cha- to challenge Cleveland. They have a big defensive presence in Hassan on the white side. They have veteran leadership. They have some good young guys in supporting roles. Chicago is the same way. They're pretty deep in balance and balanced, um, and they have a big front court too. So I think those those two teams are probably probably have the best chance of making the NBA finals and beating the the Cavaliers in the process.
1: Aaron, do you have any other candidates that you'd like to highlight?
0: First, I want to say, barring any significant injury, I think the Cavs are going to be the Eastern representative in the finals. I wouldn't characterize them as a lock, but I would say the chances are overwhelmingly in their favor. We saw what they did last season in the later rounds without Kevin Love, And then in the finals without Kyrie Irving, they're just so good. They were really good without Kyrie Irving to start the season. And now integrating him back into that lineup has been a little bit of a struggle. They got blown out by Portland. And they've looked a little bit shaky in their last four games. But I'm pretty sure they're going to figure it out. So barring any serious injury, I think they're going to be the representative. If I had to pick a team that would challenge them most closely it probably would be Toronto or Chicago I think at this point but the East is wide open but I think also no one's really that good I think there's just a lot of above average teams solid teams but no one that's really that great and I don't think anyone will seriously challenge Cleveland
1: yeah that seems to be the general sentiment the East this year has a lot of Pretty good teams, but not on that elite level that Cleveland is and was last year. But before the season, we were talking a lot about the disparity between conference. People were discussing whether the playoffs need to be restructured to take the 16 best teams instead of eight from each conference. The West generally looked much better than the East. And because of the overperformance of a lot of teams, that hasn't looked like the case so far into this season. Can you talk generally about what it means for the NBA to have the East look so strong so far, Aaron? It's a
0: great thing for the NBA not seeing teams limp into the playoffs with sub 500 records granted it's early in the season but i think that'll be the case that there's solid teams that actually deserve to be in the playoffs as opposed to the teams just limping in there and you go looking at uh seeds five through eleven right now in the eastern conference and they all have young cores there's the pistons led by Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond. You've got the Orlando Magic with Vucevic and Fournier and company. Those Celtics that are young. Charlotte Hornets have young guys over there too. Indiana. And I could go on and on. I think that that's really exciting for those fan bases to have those young players and those young cores to be rooting on. Even if they don't think their team can legitimately win a championship this year, it just gives hope. And that's important for the brand.
1: Josh, do you have anything to add to that? I
0: couldn't agree more. It's just so important for the NBA to to have a strong Eastern Conference, something it has lacked in recent years, and it should make for a, a much more entertaining playoff. And regular season, too. I, I like that when a Western Conference team is playing an Eastern Conference team, it's not a foregone conclusion.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's great to see meaningful regular season basketball being played in these Eastern Conference cities that have really strong basketball histories, but haven't performed well in recent years. Places like Boston, New York, Orlando, Detroit, Charlotte. Just giving those fans hope in the regular season and for the future of their franchise means so much for the growth of the league.
0: I just want to say I hope that Philadelphia 76ers fans weren't listening to that last point, because That is a city that's long deserved a franchise that's playing meaningful basketball. And it may be a little while until they get that, but it'll come. Just be patient, 76ers fans. Trust the process. Trust the process. I don't know how long you trust the process, but for now, just be patient.
1: And that concludes another episode of the podcast. I just want to give a New Year's shout-out to all of the loyal fans who have been listening to the show. It really means so much of us. We just crossed 10,000 plays, which is so humbling, and of course we couldn't have done it without you. So thank you for that. Hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed putting these out for you. As always, if you like the show, give us a rating on iTunes or throw us a like on Facebook. Both of those help other people find the show. And if you have suggestions or comments, you can email us or send us a message on Twitter. You know where to find us. Happy New Year.